Hello and welcome once again to another edition of the Cover Crop Strategies podcast. I'm your host, Noah Newman, Associate Editor. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsor, Lacrosse Seed. Solving the soil health puzzle, Lacrosse Seed has you covered. Cover crops are an important piece to future profit, but it takes work and is puzzling at times. Lacrosse Seed delivers quality soil first cover crop products, plus training and tools to help you succeed. Whether you're looking to grow your cover crop seed business, get product tips, or find a local soil first dealer, Lacrosse Seed is ready to help. Learn more at soilfirst.com. That's soil1st.com or call 800 356 seed. This week, we're catching up with Southwest Kansas no-tiller Nick Voss. Nick started using cover crops shortly after moving to the United States from South Africa in 2006. On this episode of the podcast, Voss explains how cover crops play a critical role in his operation, especially when it comes to overcoming moisture challenges in the Dust Bowl. He also reflects on challenges faced and tips learned over the last decade and names his MVC most valuable cover. Without further ado, here's Nick. Well, we're here on the Dust Bowl. If you're familiar with where that is, we're in the southwest Kansas area, and we also have a little bit of land in the in the Panhandle, Oklahoma Panhandle. Uh, we raise sheep, uh, cover crops, cash crops. Uh, we operate a seed business, and then we do a little bit consulting on the side. So you do a little bit of, of everything. You probably don't have a lot of free time. What cash crops do you grow? We still got quite a bit of corn. This year's probably the least amount of corn that we're going to grow. Uh, we're we're doing a lot more milo since the milo is 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 a better uh, fit for us for the sheep over the winter. It, it gives us some stockpile ability. Um, we grow some soybeans. We got some wheat. We'll have some cowpeas this year. We'll have some barley this winter. So we, we constantly change and, and keep our rotations going and, and, uh, you know, go wherever the market is. We, we'd like to as much possible be, be a price maker instead of a price taker. So we try and grow things that we, where we control the market. I want to talk about your background a little bit. You, I mean, you have a really interesting story. You came from South Africa. Just tell us about your background growing up on a farm and how that kind of shaped your attitude towards adopting uh, conservation practices? Well, grew up on a vegetable farm and, you know, that's kind of what got me thinking otherwise when I got here is, is just the whole spoon feeding concept that you uh, are accustomed to with vegetable farming. And so when I got here, we it, it didn't make sense to me to put all your eggs in a basket with a fertilizer program and, you know, started reading up on that and trying to figure out why guys do what they do. And, uh, you know, every area is different geographically and, and, and trying to think, you know, get the why behind the whole story. And that got us into, you know, more of the cover crops. And we started with that about 12 years ago. And, and you know, every time you go down a deep end, it seems like it's slipperier and then you go deep, way deeper than you think. But it's been a pretty good journey so far. I mean, we've enjoyed what we've learned, and we're really happy we've, we've gone that way. Now, where you're located, the Dust Bowl, as you put it, in Kansas, I mean, what kind of role do cover crops play in helping you overcome the moisture challenges you face? Well, that's a big question. Um, you know, where we are, you constantly fight moisture deficiencies, and, you know, a lot of guys are very anti-cover crop over here. Uh, because of that, but uh, I, I think more and more guys 
you know, when I started putting in, you know, wheat between corn and, and the next corn crop or wheat between soybeans and the next corn crop or between corn and soybeans, uh, a lot of guys uh, gave me a lot of, uh, you know, I wouldn't say feedback, but, you know, they, they, they were not really agreeing with the methods. And, and, and looking back today, I mean, there's thousands of acres of, of rye and wheat as a cover here just keeping the ground from blowing over the winter. And and even though a lot of that's unirrigated, we, we see more and more of that on, on the dry land too because guys are realizing that, you know, it, it takes moisture to grow cover and, and eventually that cover converts back to moisture because you, you don't lose it, you don't evaporate it, you know, you translocate it back into the soil through the roots and roots are 90% water. So you find ways to make it work. It's not easy. You know, like last fall, our last rain was in, in August, and so all the cover crops we drilled only only sprouted here in March. So you know, it it, it does bite you in the in the butt sometimes. But I would say, long term, uh, the principles of soil health apply even in our you know desert area here. Um, it's it's a little more tweaking and it, and it takes a little more challenges and you got to be opportunistic about what you do and, and, and not try and go with the calendar, but it's definitely paid off. All right, well, let's talk about what species you use. Just kind of give us the rundown. I guess, I guess let's start in the fall. So in the fall, what's your approach to using cover crops? What are you using and, and how are you using, are you using them? Well, if we're going to go from corn to soybeans, we try and stay, you know, more of a biomass program to try and get as much nitrogen out of the soil as possible ahead of beans, which is mostly, you know, cereals and brassicas. We we won't include legumes then. Uh, if we go corn to corn, I'd like to be heavy nitrogen-based and very low carbon-based. So if we're in a continuous corn program, I I might have 10 pounds of rye in the mix, but I will have probably... Uh, 10 pounds of legumes and brassicas in the mix because I'm trying to convert and cycle as much of that carbon back into nitrogen and and, and with that ratio and to get the stalks deteriorated, you, you need a, a big nitrogen mix. So we're very heavy brassica legumes, lots of hairy veg, lots of common veg, lots of clovers, uh, lots of uh, winter peas that we try and incorporate on continuous corn and, and any moisture that you do get through the winter uh, you will cycle those corn stalks and come spring, you, you will have a really good seed bed and, and quite a bit of nitrogen that's, you know, not only fixated, but cycled through the corn stalks. And then so spring rolls around and then the summer months start coming up. Uh, what's your approach look like there? What species are you seeding and, and what's your approach? So, in the, so, in the, so if we go in the spring... You know, like, like motto stocks, you, you got a choice of putting a, a cover in. If the guys run really late, uh, Milo usually goes to wheat in, in a dry land rotation. So you have a choice of trying to get a light mix, uh, uh behind the Milo. But a lot of times we, we only cut Milo in November, so even sometimes in December. Then it gets a little late for that. And then you could go in with a, a, a light oat mix. I, I say light. Again, we're moisture dictated here, so we can't go in with a 70, 80, 90 pound oats mix. We, we go 10, 15 pounds of oats and maybe a couple pounds of, 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 you know, legumes and brassicas. And then we, we'd like to terminate that around now, you know, sometime in June when it takes off, you want to terminate it and then try and, and accumulate as much moisture as you can back, uh, to be able to go back to wheat in October. And what, what equipment do you use to seed the covers? We got a little crust buster. It's an old plant. Uh, when I started, 
it, it was about the most precision down pressure machine we could afford. And so that's what we went with. And I've been really happy with it. Uh, it's very low maintenance. It's, it's pretty good put together. It's got a few, uh, weak points that, that we've, you know, figured out over the time. But, but all in all, I can't complain. Um, so yeah, we, you, we, we do the mixes and then, and when we'll, we'll put it in the crest buster and it doesn't shake around a whole lot. Usually it comes out pretty consistently. And you mentioned you have sheep on your property. Uh, how how many do you have, and what role do covers play in your grazing operation? So right now she's probably got my wife runs the sheep side, and uh, you know I help her, but but with forages and the planning for the forages, but the actual taking care of the shepherd side of it is all on her. And right now she's probably got ewes and lambs together. She's probably got close to 700. And, uh, she, she runs about 400 ewes. Uh, some of them are, are registered full blood that we run here at the house. Some of them are the commercial meat sheep, which we run down in Oklahoma and on, on a forage based system. And then the cover crops, we've, we've really in the last two years, we've changed the way we farm more so to fit the sheep than the other way around. When we started into the sheep, we mostly wanted the sheep to do weed control and like buying weed control and try and lessen our burden on chemicals. And it's gone to the point now where we're, you know, starting to look at some areas where we're really chemical free and, uh, and, you know, trying to get away from chemical the sheep has kind of stepped up and being the, the primary source of income now, and we're all, almost changing our rotations to match the sheep. Yeah. So, what's what kind of species do you use for the for the sheep? For the, for the sheep, it depends on the you know the time of the year. Like right now, we probably go in with a pretty good BMR sorghum mix, millets, sunham, cowpeas, forage peas, uh, chicory trying to think we, we have some sunflower in there we'll have some flax in there we'll have some brassicas obviously we, we've got some hybrid forages some hybrid rape hybrid turnip uh, some radish uh, usually around a 15 to 20 species mix um, when we when we plant our, our second uh, that, this would be the spring crop that's now up and going then the second one which we usually plant in july we try and not do the sorghums and we, we, we replace the sorghums just with millets. And the reason for that is, uh, you know, when we do get a freeze in the fall, we don't have the prussic acid uh, issues that we fight. So we can keep grazing it and not have to pull off the, off the mix for a couple of weeks. So <clears throat> we, the biggest change we make from March to August, September would be to replace the sorghums with the millets. Take a quick time out back to the podcast in just a second. But once again, let's thank our sponsor, Lacrosse Seed, solving the soil health puzzle. Lacrosse Seed has you covered. Cover crops are an important piece to future profit, but it takes work and is puzzling at times. Lacrosse Seed delivers quality, soil first cover crop products, plus training and tools to help you succeed. Whether you're looking to grow your cover crop seed business, get product tips, or find a local soil first dealer, Lacrosse Seed is ready to help. Learn more at soilfirst.com. That's Soil1ST.com or call 800-356-SEED. Now, back to the podcast. You know, in sports, they have the saying, MVP, most valuable player. So I'm going to ask you this. What's your MVC, most valuable cover, on your farm? In the winter, I would say definitely triticale. Uh, in the spring, it would be oats. In the summer, it would be sun hemp. 
And then just kind of elaborating on that, you know, what what do you like most about those three? What benefits do you get from them? The tr- <clears throat> Trudy kale is kind of in the middle between roots and, and, and forage. Rye obviously has the best root system, but the sheep really don't like the rye. Um, they would they would they would go past uh, luscious rye to go, you know, and gray struggling Trudy kale almost. They 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 just have a taste for Trudy kale. Um, so that's our primary winter cover. Um, it, it, it establishes quicker than wheat. It grows faster than wheat. And it, it, it's really been good for us in the spring. There's nothing that beats oats. It's the quickest. Uh, it's the most aggressive. Uh, it's very palatable. And then in the summer, uh, sun hemp is, is probably, is, it's a legume and it produces nitrogen. But not only that, it kind of grows like a Mary's tail. So when they graze it off, it sprouts and comes back. Almost, you know, makes multiple sprouts where you where they graze it off, and and it's how it, it just gets bushier and bushier. And uh, when you plant sun hemp in April, May, you'll graze all the way till it freezes out. It it just doesn't have any end to it. So I wanted to ask you about when you first started using cover crops. You know, what are, what are some of the biggest lessons you say you've learned over the years with covers? Oh boy, we've learned a lot. Um, you know, you don't learn things from what you do right, but you learn from what you do wrong. And when you live where I live, where, you know, sometimes like a, I was at a couple of weeks ago, we were 103 degrees and 57 mile wind and 6% humidity. And when you have days like that, boy, there's nothing that wants to grow and nothing, and no one wants to be here. No one wants to live here and the sheep don't want to be here. So, you know, there's, there's some tough times here, but, I would say lessons learned is is the biggest thing for us is opportunity. If you get moisture, like, you know, the last couple of nights we've had some really good rains and every open acre I have is going to go, is going to go to some kind of forage. Uh, there's just no doubt. So it's, so it's, it's gotta be opportunistic and which is, you know, why we, I get crosswise with some of the equip programs and why I'm not part of an equip program because they, they, they tie you to a calendar and sometimes you can be as dry as a bone, but you got to have stuff, you know, sown and, and because you got to be sown before the 15th of this date or the 20th of that day or whatever. And that just doesn't work down here. If, if, if you, if you want to be in a program, they got to be more flexible and give you a bigger time spread because sometimes it just doesn't rain and it doesn't rain for six or eight months. And this absolutely makes no sense to get a cover in the ground. If you have no moisture, it's a waste of time, waste of energy. And frankly, it, it sets the ground off blowing if you get a wind event. And so you mentioned when you first started, there are a lot of people in your region and probably still are that are skeptical about using cover crops. But have you noticed more farmers in your neck of the woods jumping on board with covers? I would say every year we'll, we'll gain. I don't, I don't know of too many people that have done cover crops that have stopped. It's actually the other way around. Everyone starts with a little bit and then do a little more. Um, and, and it takes time to figure out, you know, that's why, I started the consulting side because there's a lot of guys that, you know, wanted to do something, but they really don't have the help. They don't need the expertise. Uh, a lot of the government agencies and extensions is, is not helping. Uh, as a matter of fact, they're very detrimental to, to, to uh, you know, how we start because they, they do studies and the studies are monoculture studies. And then they tell us this doesn't work. And it's a, it's a multi-year project. And, Sometimes you only start seeing benefits after year three or four or five. So when you do a three-year study, you're not really seeing any benefits sometimes. But uh, I, I would say definitely it's it's on the rise. Uh, it's 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 growing as a forage based. 
Uh, a lot of people are doing a cheaper mix to get their feet wet and then really liking. Uh, it's, it's almost a system that sells itself. When, when you see the swell texture and, and the moisture sometimes where you have the covers versus the bare swell, uh, any guy that ha- that's hands-on is, is a really easy sell uh, for the system because they, they, can, they can see the difference pretty quickly. So if there's someone listening who, who's thinking about starting to plant covers or, you know, get into the practice, what, what would be some advice you would give them? Start small. Don't, don't, uh, I would, you know, get, get some information from guys that are doing it. Uh, again, I'm not anti-extension, but they've not been our friends and trying to promote covers and trying to get covers started. Uh, and I'm talking specifically in my area. Even some of the NRCS offices, the two that I work with are absolutely awesome. But you go a little bit outside my area, and, and, and a lot of them are very anti-cover and, and very moisture-dictated, orientated people. Um, but I would say start small. Uh, you know, get get in touch with people that are already doing it, that have made the mindset change, because it's not operational change. It's a mindset change. And, and once you change your mindset, you're pretty open to, to trying some things on some small scale. And once you get things figured out on small scale, you, you can try, try and implement it. And, and that's where a lot of guys, you know, get hurt because, you know, a lot of these equal programs want you to do a lot of acres. And, and really, then guys start seeing yield drag because they've got too much biomass out there. They plant it too, too much, too thick, the wrong species. So there's, there's a lot to learn. But I, I would say start by learning from people that's already doing it. I also wanted to ask you, have you have you done anything with interseeding? We have. We have not been very successful because of, like, the cash crops that we do, uh, we, we have to spray uh, uh, some herbicides down. And, and when you do the herbicide program, it's tough to get something established within those, uh, you know, parameters. And, and so we've done some – we've flown on some interseeding. We started, I think, in 2015, and uh, we, we, we did five years in a row, and I think we had two great years, one average year, and two complete failures. So it, it, it's a hit and miss with flying it on, uh, drilling it. Uh, we, we, we're fighting the herbicides pro- problem. Uh, we are probably going to try and do some uh, uh, cowpea, milo, split row applications, uh, maybe even this year. Uh, just for, for again, back to the sheep, uh, the Milo stocks is really good and gives us a good winter stockpile, but it's, but it's a very high carbon, uh, uh, system. And we gotta, we gotta be able to have a lot of protein out there and, and a lot of molasses and a lot of, uh, uh, help to get them to digest the Milo stocks where if we we're thinking if we can add the cowpeas in between the rows with the, with the Milo or even just drill it in the same, you know, tank mix it and drill it together. We're thinking that after we harvested the, the Milo, we should have a really good high, um, less high carbon, more high nitrogen type crop of cowpeas, which is also very palatable and very nutritious. And, and, and we're, that's probably something we're going to try this year uh, in the next two, three weeks. One of the trends we noticed in our, we do a cover crop benchmark study and we're in the third year of it. One of the trends is uh, more and more growers are planting green. Is that is that something you do with your operation? Yeah, we've planted green. Oh, 
uh, this is either the fifth or the sixth year that we plant green. Uh, we've planted into, into triticale, we've planted into rye, we've planted into wheat. Uh, and when I say, you know, triticale, rye, wheat, it's always a mix. We, we try and put winter peas and, 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 and dwarf Essex rape in with it. Radish don't seem to make the winter, but the rape always seems to make the winter here by us. And then we've had some clover, some crimson clover, the, the winter peas. Those are all kind of hidden miss, and, and some years we get them, some years we don't. But we, we, we originally try and get us a multi-species mix in in the fall. But, yeah, we've green planted with, with really, really good results uh, for five or six years now. And do you terminate right after you plant? We terminate the same day. Same day. Okay, gotcha. All right, Nick. Well, I think that's all, all I have for you. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we let you go? Just guys need to be open-minded and, and you know, you know, that whole doing the same thing over and over and doing it the way it's always been done is, is really boring. And I think uh, the one thing that, you know, cover crop guys, I think, share is is, is the enjoyment. And, 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 you know, you seem to enjoy things more again that seems to get kind of boring. And uh, it's, it's the challenges of making it work and the challenges of experiment, experimenting with it, I think, is really good. And, 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 you know, kids, guys, to uh, change their mindset a little bit and, and seem happier. So I I'm, I talk to a lot of guys that do what I do, and, and everyone's always, you know, excited about doing things the next year, excited about trying this this year. It seems like every year there's the next step and, and doing something. So I would, I would tell guys to definitely try it, try small, be open-minded about it, and kind of forget, you know, we always tell people to unlearn and relearn. But that's that's really the case. Great stuff there from Nick. Really want to thank him for joining us on this week's podcast. Before we go, though, let's thank our sponsor, Lacrosse Seed, one more time. Solving the soil health puzzle, Lacrosse Seed has you covered. Cover crops are an important piece to future profit, but it takes work and it's puzzling sometimes. Lacrosse Seed delivers quality soil first cover crop products, plus training and tools to help you succeed. So whether you're looking to grow your cover crop seed business, get product tips or find a local Soil First dealer, Lacrosse Seed is ready to help. Learn more at SoilFirst.com. That's Soil1ST.com or call 800-356-SEED. All right, that's going to do it for this week's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Until next time, for all things cover crops, head to CoverCropStrategies.com.